following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Yes, sir. Come on, clap your hands real big. We're in church. It's so neat. So neat to see all of you. Uh, my, my wife was getting dressed when I left the house today to come to church. and She said, you're a happy person today, aren't you, Rex Johnson? I said, I am. My wife reads me well. And I said, I'm very happy. On March the 11th, we had a Wednesday night here in this building. It was different then. Had a balcony. <laughs> had a lot of stuff different. And 88 days later, we're back in church. 88 days later, we're back in church. So I'm going to give you 88 reasons to praise the Lord. <laughs> praise Him. Because you get to be back in the house of God. That's all 88. You get to be back in his house. I'll be honest with you, it's been a very, it's been a very difficult season for me. I don't mind telling you because I have, this, I have this issue in my life. I love people. I really do love people, and uh, it's, a, it's a joy to minister to you. And I enjoyed the 12 Sundays that we preached online. I enjoyed it. Pastor Brad did such a great job. Pastor Phil did such a great job. And we did the best that we could preaching to an audience of none, zero. Brother Kelly came by the church one day and I said, would you come in and just sit over here so that I can at least look at somebody? And when we started that, that sermon, I messed up and I had to quit. I said, get on out of here, Brother Kelly. <laughs> one person. But all you are here today and I'm so happy. I'm so happy to see you. I am so happy to see you. I, uh, I'm like a proud grandpa, proud father. Get to see my peeps come home, my children. Now this is a unique time. We don't have 11 o'clock service normally. But we're going to do this through the summer. And we'll be telling you of changes that's going to come as we m move on. Now somebody said, Pastor, I love the way this is going to look. No, we ain't even got there. This is halfway house. This is halfway. We're going to go 65 more feet out there and 25 more feet. We're adding 90 more feet to this place. The stage is going to be over here. And we'll probably build that stage before we demolish this stage. And Pastor Brad and I may preach from the south and the east simultaneously <laughs> one Sunday. But what a joy. The big, the big stadium seating is going to go around this way. It's going to be beautiful. I'm trying to keep you apprised of where we are and where we're going. I have a message that I want to preach to this congregation, but I'm going to wait till next week, next week, because I want to give everybody a chance to get back and kind of get the feel of church. And you that are watching online, we honor you today. And we understand that there's some that do not feel that they are capable of coming right now. But I'm so happy that we have a lot of people here that want to have church with us today. It honors me. It honors God. And it honors you and your family. And all you that are watching online, we salute you and celebrate you. And we're going to have church here again next Sunday. We're not doing Wednesdays for a while because of the children's situation, because Wednesday really focuses on our children and youth. But we are, we're going to have Sundays while we're doing this. 
have, have Sundays. I'm, I'm roaring here a little bit. Help me out. Uh, and we're going to continue to have Sundays, 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock. So put it on your calendar. Next Sunday, the 14th of June, I'm going to be in the house of God. At 11 o'clock, I'm going to be in the house of God. I love you. Would you stand? You're incredible people. I love you very much. I love the sign. Let me leave here a better person than I was when I came in. We still have that. So you came in that door, you're going to leave out that door. That's what praise and worship does. Ezekiel 46 said, if you come in the way of the south gate, you'll leave by the way of the north gate if you worship. Come by the way of the north gate, you'll leave by the way of the south gate. You won't leave the same way you came in. Church changes. There's something about the fellowship of people. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. There's nothing like the house of the Lord. God's house. Paul said in Hebrews, forsake not the assembling yourselves together as the manner of some is. The more so as you see the day. What day? The day of the Lord's return coming. So it's, it's good to see you in the house of God. I want to speak today on this subject, the power of love. The power of love. Love is awesome. You know, the anonym of fear is not faith. The anonym of fear is love. And perfect love casts out fear. Faith doesn't cast out fear. Love casts out fear. And this pandemic that we're in, can I tell you right now, we lost no one from our church to death due to the coronavirus. Nobody. Forty. 500 members on the roll. Nobody from this church died. The good book says in John 15, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love, and if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my opinion. This is my hope. This is my prayer. No, he didn't say this. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that to lay down one's life for his friends. Before you see it in one of the Peanuts cartoons, a little girl calls Charlie Brown on the telephone. She said, Marcy and I are about to leave to go to summer camp, Chuck. We're going to be swimming instructors. And Marcy takes the phone and adds, we just called to say goodbye, Charles. Neither one of them called him Charlie, Chuck and Charles. We're going to miss you. And then she said, we love you. The perennial loser, Charlie Brown, stands by the phone with a grin on his face. And one little friend asks, who was that? And Charlie says, I think it was a right number. It's always a right number when somebody says, we love you. I love you. I want to preach the power of love. You may be seated. God bless. You're awesome people. A man went to see his friend, an old friend who was a music teacher. And he asked him, what's the good news today? And the old teacher was silent for a while. Then he stood, walked across the room, picked up a small hammer and struck a tuning fork. As the notes sounded throughout the room, he said, that is A. That's A. It is A today. It was capital A 5,000 years ago. 
it will be capital A 10,000 years from now. The music man said the soprano upstairs sings off key. <laughs> the tenor across the hall flattens out his high notes. And the piano downstairs is terribly out of tune. Then he struck the note again and said, but my friend, that is A. Always has been, always will be. And that is the good news for today. The good news for today is that God is love. That's good news. Anybody receive that today? God loves us. And Jesus said, this command, I command you to love one another. That'll always be, that'll always be the good news. Love is the mark of Christianity in the first two centuries. Tertullian, early Christian apologist, summed it up like this. He said, look how they love one another. Question, would the casual observer say the same thing about churches today, that they love one another? Is it possible for a hungry soul to come into our fellowship, Christian Life Austin, and to leave feeling that somebody cares for him? How well do we measure up to this commandment to love one another? See, love, folks, has awesome power. In fact, in fact Dr. Carl Menninger, a well-known psychiatrist, claimed that the most tragic word in society today is the word unloved. That's the most tragic word in society today is unloved. Love cures people, he said, both the ones that give it and the ones that receive it. And he's right. Love cures. Love heals. In fact, I, I know for a shadow, without a shadow of a doubt that love heals hurting bodies. Love can heal you physically. Say amen to that. Amen. Scientists confirm what many of us have suspected all along, that love heals hurting bodies. I heard a story about a particularly affectionate little puppy who hung around a sanitarium. And the doctor at that sanitarium decided to try an experiment on the little puppy. She made a small incision on the puppy's leg and then she bandaged it. And then she instructed those at the sanitarium to feed the pup, but to show the puppy no affection at all. The change in the dog was dramatic. The dog's energetic and frisky and friendly ways now seemed quite the opposite. He was forlorn. He was sad-eyed. He kept his head down and he, he never licked a hand. Even more significantly, six weeks later, the incision on his leg had not healed. And then the doctor, after six weeks, instructed everyone to lavish love on the tiny little creature. And almost, almost overnight, the puppy was frisky and energetic and yapping and jumping up on laps again, and the incision healed quickly. Please know, the healing streams that lie within the human body can be activated by the power of love. It really can. A nurse was working in a convalescent home, and she was assigned to an elderly woman patient, and the patient had not spoken a word in three years, and she was kind of grumpy with her actions. And the other nurses could not stand her and would have nothing to do with her. So the new nurse decided to try some unlimited love. And the elderly woman rocked all day in a rocking chair. That's all she did. And so one day the nurse pulled up a rocking chair beside the lady and rocked along with her and loved her. And the third day the patient opened her eyes and looked over at the nurse and said, You're so kind. I love your kindness. Two weeks later the little elderly lady went home. 
Because love has a way of healing hurting bodies. Elizabeth Barrett, the poet, was an invalid for years, unable to lift her head from the pillow. And one day she was visited by a man named Robert Browning. In one visit, he gave her so much joy and happiness that she lifted her head off the pillow for the first time. The second visit, she sat up in bed. The third visit, they eloped and went and got married. <laughs> Don't tell me that love cannot heal. In fact, I want to declare to this congregation, it's the most powerful word in the whole world. Love. You know why? Because it came from God. It came from the Almighty. Hell does not know what love is. Hell breeds hate. Hell breeds venom. Hell's message is to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come to give you life and that more abundantly. I want to tell you, God loves us here today. Come on, say something. Say something back to me. God loves us. I've been preaching too long without any help out there. No wonder people were healed by, the, by coming in contact with Jesus Christ. He was love incarnate. That's what the church should be, is love embodied. In fact, when we leave here today, don't let the world's customs get on you when you walk out of here. Because you're going to feel warm in the love of God before you leave here today. And when you walk out, carry what you have out. Perfume the whole world. Let the world know that you go to a place. In fact, I know a place. Ain't nobody crying. Ain't nobody dying. Follow me. I'll take you there. Somebody needs to rejoice right now and say, I am loved by the Father. Love can heal a body. Love can also heal a heart. Do you believe that? Somewhere I read about a pastor who asked his congregation one day if they knew anyone who was suffering. A little eight-year-old girl raised her hand and said, my dad is, but he won't tell anyone. Then the little girl hugged her father really tight. And the dad, already embarrassed because she had announced the fact that he was hurting, said, quit, quit, you're hugging me to death. And the little girl said, no, daddy, I'm hugging you to life. Do you know why this pastor is a hugging pastor? Because I like to do that. Because I understand that the power of touch, the right kind of touch can heal people. Touches heal people. We're not here to hug you wrong. We're not here to hug you in a bad fashion. But we're here to let you know Jesus loves you. This church loves you. And so does this pastor. Come on in. The water's fine. You'll leave here feeling better about yourself than when you came in. Clap to that because that's something to rejoice over. People desperately need to know that somebody loves and somebody cares. We live in a fragmented, alienated society, and you know that. The society that we live in is, it's sad. But we don't have to bring that here. We need to take this there. Don't change. Don't say, well, I'm going to take my Sunday clothes off and put on my fighting clothes now. Don't do that. Walk out of here saying, I've been changed by the love of Jesus Christ. He's healed my body. He's touched my mind. He's healed my heart. I'm not going to go back to the old way that I used to, I used to live around. I'm going to live a new life, a new way. And even after this pandemic, fear is, fear is horrible. It's paralyzing. 
It, it does not sustain us. But the anonym of fear is not faith, it's love. I want to say it again, perfect love casts out fear. And when you have the love of God in your life, you have no fear. Hear me, I know the world is a mess right now, but the church is not a mess right now. The church is alive and the church is well, and we have a God that loves us. There was a study done by the Government Commission on Chronic Poverty in, in the Appalachia Range of the east side of our country. And before conducting the study, the members of the commission assumed that poverty was linked to environment or lack of education. And these were important factors, of course, but the commission made some discoveries they had not expected. On occasion, they would go and journey up the creek beyond the so-called civilization and they would run across a house or a family that was falling apart. No surprise there. Isolation, no education, the house falls. And that's what they expected. But farther up the creek, they would find a home that was well kept and a family that was industrious. The difference, it could not be isolation or lack of education. All families were suffering with the same identical things. But the family that did well, get this, almost always had a relative nearby or a neighbor who cared for their welfare because everybody needs to know that somebody cares. Everybody needs to know. Why don't you turn to your neighbor right now and say, I love your guppies. <laughs> say it. That's, 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 that's greater terms than guts. Say guppies. I love you guppies. Don't that make you feel good? Don't that make you feel good? Oh, some of you are just, you're, you're not taking this serious. <laughs> Turn to your wife and say that. See if it works. Turn to your husband and say that. Turn to your best friend and say that. Say, hey, I love you. I was looking for Patty a while ago. I want her to know I love her. Wherever you are, baby, I love you. Wherever you are. Love works. Love wins. People have become isolated and estranged, not only in the Appalachia, but in towns and in great cities. And perhaps we should all say, especially in great cities like in Austin, Texas, the closer we live physically, the further apart sometimes we seem to drift socially and spiritually. John Nesbitt in his book Megatrends calls our age one that needs to provide both high tech and high touch. Nesbitt argues with increased technology there comes increased literal and figurative touching of people to fulfill their human needs. Love heals bodies and it heals hearts and emotions and spirits. That's what love does. We need to use it. Love also lifts us to a higher plane of achievement. How often have we been told he did this because of love. Many of you have heard of Elias Howe, Elias Howe, a man broken in health and poverty stricken and he wanted to give up in life. Why keep trying? He said when life has knocked you down and put you on the deck so many times. But day by day he watched his wife slowly sewing in order to earn a little money for the next meal and beyond and above all things Howe loved his wife and it hurt him to watch her work so hard. Because of his love for her, he forgot his sick body and began thinking how he might be able to help her. He went to work and six months later he completed the first model of a machine that would revolutionize households throughout the world. It was the first sewing machine. 
And he got it for his wife, made it for his wife. And Howe's invention made him famous. It made him rich, restored his health. A love for his wife, however, that drove him to the highest achievement was the cause that he did it all. Here's what I want to tell you. When you love somebody, it'll make you achieve to the greater level. George Eastman, the talented inventor and founder of Eastman Kodak Company, often stated that he never set out to become rich, nor was it especially intent to create photography. Eastman lost his father while he was still young, and he watched his mother try to make a living, provide essentials for Jordan his two sisters. And he had memories of his mom mopping floors and washing clothes and cleaning houses for other people. And it haunted George like a bad dream throughout his life. Consequently, he vowed to make enough money so that his mother would never have to work again. Actually, he made millions. His mama lived well. And he revolutionized photography, but his real goal was a comfortable living for his mother. That's what real love does. Real love lifts us. We used to sing a song when I was a kid, love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. Aren't you glad that you're here on a Sunday and a pastor's not bashing you with something? But he's telling you that the greatest thing in the whole world is the love of God and our love for one another. Come on, let's, let's take this world by storm with the love of God in our lives. Marcus Bach tells about a young man who attended a summer camp in order to study under a noted art professor. He was an artist. And he learned more about art in that camp than he ever dreamed possible, but it wasn't from the professor. A young man's room, the young man's roommate turned out to be a blind student studying music. Listen to this story intently. He tried to assist his non-seeing roommate by describing their surroundings, and he came to realize that his roommate could see too, but not with his eyes, with his fingers, and with his senses. And he found, in fact, that his friend saw with a great sensitivity, alien to persons with visual sight. He saw with a greater sensitivity than people with sight did. The realization caused things, such as the purple flowers and vines he sought to describe to his new friend to have a new and living reality to a young art student. He tried to bring it alive to him. He began to see with greater depth and greater insight with his eyes. A new way of seeing in turn helped his art career immeasurably because love lifted his art student to a new appreciation of the visual world in which he lived. Love does that. Now, here's what I'm trying to say. Stay with me. It's not sin with this. It's sin with this. It's feeling. It's not just seeing, it's feeling. And if you can't feel that our world needs people like attend this church, then you're looking through the wrong lens. Don't let your eyes deceive you that this world's going to hell in a handbasket. This world is going to see revival before Jesus comes back. No, 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 no. Don't cast it all aside. Don't cast it all aside. Don't say it's going to hell. No, 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 no. There's people out there. There's folks out there protesting right now that don't know what they're doing. They are being led by people. They're protesting. But I want to declare something to this congregation this morning. Black lives do matter in this church. Somebody needs to get on your feet and help the pastor right now. Come on. People matter in this church. Black lives matter. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
When I was a kid, you can be seated. When I was a kid, I wasn't raised to see color. My kids were not raised to see color. Oh, I'm preaching now. No, Pastor, you're going, to, you're going to meddling. No, I'm not meddling. I'm preaching right now. We need to understand something, that God loves everybody. I was preaching one time, and somebody came up to me and said, I hear you got a multiracial, multicultural church. I said, yeah. He said, well, how many Hispanics do you have? I said, I don't know. None. I said, well, how many Chinese people do you have? I said, none. How many black folk do you have? I said, none. How many white folks? I said, none. He said, well, you have nobody in church and you call it multiracial, multicultural? I said, no. Everybody in our church is covered by the blood of Jesus. I don't see color. Come on, help me right now. I don't see color. Color ain't in this house. Color's not a part of what we do. Let me preach a little bit. Let me just go off. Let me go off on you right now. You know what this is? This is hell. This is a kingdom of one. My kingdom. What are my associates saying to the king today? I said something powerful. Only two people like that? Wow, I got to say something more powerful. You know what? You know what we need to do in our homes? We need to put these things on the cabinet and sit down with our kids at the table and say, we're not going to talk on this. We're going to talk like this. We're going to feel each other's love for one another, and we're going to share Jesus Christ at this table. We're going to share the love of God in this family because this family matters. And if we can get families to do that, we can get a church to do that, and we can get a city to do that, and we can get a state to do that. We'll get a country to do that. Somewhere it's got to start that love has a power. Racism's learned. Kids don't come into the world racist. I'm going to show you a little picture. You got it pulled up? Show it for me right now. A, little, a dad asking a little boy about something. Watch this. You'll love this. Let me ask you a question. Okay? What do you see? What's that? Yeah. What do you see? What do you see? That's it. It's time that we see people for people. Come on now. It's time we see people for people. Everybody is people. Everybody is people. Come on, clap your hands. We're all covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
Wow. That's good. I didn't think I could do that good, but I did. <laughs> the last thing I want to tell you is that love lifted Christ to a cross of Calvary. He paid the ultimate fare for us. He really did. I must wrap this up. I, uh, I, was a, I was a sharecropper's son. I was born into a sharecropper's home. We had a lot of poverty in our life for 10 years. Many of you have never heard me tell this story the way I'm going to tell it today because I have never told it in the fullness that I'm going to tell it today. I'll be through before it's quitting time. So I'm going to hurry and get the high points. Being raised in that home and not being raised in a pastor's home, I didn't understand ministry. I didn't understand how to be blessed. I didn't understand anything but just living from one meal to the next. Dad went to work for an oil company when I was 10 years old, and he started making a little bit better money, but not good. Oil doesn't mean it. you're going to get a lot of money. He was a pumper. He had a lease that he went and took care of, and we still struggled. We still struggled. It wasn't until I left home that Mom went to work. She went back to school at Texas Tech and got her degree and started teaching school, the third grade, and I made her her first paddle. <laughs> but when I, when I accepted the call to preach, there was nobody that said, I'm going to set you up, son. I'm going to set you up. I'm going to get you revivals here and there and everywhere. Nobody did that. And so when I went into the ministry, instead of preaching in churches that had two, three, four hundred, five hundred people, I started storefronts. I went anywhere. I, I preached on Bourbon Street in New Orleans. Anywhere I could preach. And I was hit on by a woman on Bourbon Street. She thought I was good looking. I said, ma'am, I'm trying to preach. Would you move on? That's a truth. And I started preaching, and I still had this poverty mindset. It was still in me. A mindset can stay with you a long time. But the main thing that I wanted in my life was somebody to affirm me. I needed some affirmation in my life, somebody to say, you're doing good, son. You're going to make it. But I had so many people tell me I need to go back to West Texas and quit because I wasn't good enough. I didn't have the right DNA. I didn't have the right kind of upbringing. But the one, the one person that I really, if I could get him to affirm me, I knew that I'd be good for the rest of my life. It was my pastor. He was from the Holy Land. He was an Arab. I loved him. I still love him. I buried him two years ago. He died loving me, and I'll always love him. But it was 2003. I was pastoring this church, and we had already built this building. And the Spurs won the title that year in basketball. And so I knew that he loved the San Antonio Spurs, so he lived in Dallas, and the Mavericks didn't give him a whole lot to root for. <laughs> so I brought him down one day. I took him to a Spurs game to watch Kobe Bryant. 
and we watched him and I brought him back and fed him at a good Mexican food restaurant. Put him in a hotel, the Omni Hotel. Gave him an offering. Just petted him. He had already started downhill on his Parkinson's disease that took his life. And when we got to the airport the next morning for him to go home, there was a man there that I said, he needs a wheelchair. The man said, okay. So the man went and got a wheelchair for him. And my pastor said, I don't want that wheelchair. Uh-uh. I'll walk to the gate. He was so independent. He'd been raised hard. And I said, get in the chair. I pastor this city, not you. Get in the chair. <laughs> I love that. He got in the chair. I gave the man some money. I said, take care of him. He's the best man that I know besides Jesus. And when he started to leave, I said, I love you, Papa Kay. I love you. And he looked up at me. I'm 53 years old. He looked up at me and he said, I love you, son. And he broke. And then he said, I'm proud of you. And you will do great things in Austin, Texas. And I started flooding with tears. The man that I always sought an affirmation from gave it to me at 53 years old. And I have never looked back. Oh, the poverty thing hits my mind every now and then, but I say, back up. I've been affirmed by a heavenly father and by an earthly father. So today, all of you in the sound of my voice, I'm going to affirm you. I love you. Jesus loves you. And you're going to do great in life. And even though we've been through a pandemic, we're going to come out on the other side greater than we've ever been in all of our life. Would you clap your hands and rejoice to that right now? Stand to your feet all over the building. Let's worship him right now. Let's praise him right now. I went over a little bit, but I'm not, I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. And if my pastor's children watch me all the time, if they see this tape, they understand that I was telling nothing but the truth because they were raised by him. He was very difficult to get any kind of affirmation out of him. But I want to bless you today. We're going to have communion. I want you to pick up your communion cups we well, normally do this on first Wednesday. And it's time to do it because we hadn't been together in 88 days. So we're going to do it as the Israelites did in Exodus 12. We're going to do it standing up. We're going to partake of communion today. I wish everybody would take the bread out. Take the bread out. He said, this is my body which was broken for you. I want you to receive it and say, Lord, thank you for your love to me. And take it right now. Receive it. And then he said, when he, took the, when he took the fruit of the vine, he said, this is my blood that was shed for you. This is my blood that was shed for you. And he said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. So Lord, on this seventh day of June, 2020, we're going to receive your blood as a symbol of your goodness and your love and your mercy to us. Would you receive it right now? Hallelujah. 
Now I want you to bow your heads, take the hand of the person beside you or the elbow or whatever. Dear Father, I bless this congregation right now. I thank you for them. I love them. I want them to know that love heals hurting bodies, love heals hurting hearts, and love lifts us to levels that we've never known because you, the ultimate love, died for us to show that love to us. Greater love hath no man than this. He'd lay down his life for his friends. Bless this beautiful congregation. Bring us back next week to hear the word of the Lord again. Let's have church this summer. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen.